Okay, let's talk about what an idiot Rob Gronkowski is. How about that? Okay. Okay. And welcome to what we like to call Freeform Friday on this edition of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. And this is, uh, uh, we missed, the last time we got together, we did our, our draft, which was a lot of fun. And uh, certainly appreciated that. And, uh, you know, uh, hope uh, Sean Nichols had as much fun as we did uh, doing that. And But I really hope we kick his ass. But he looked really as a knowledgeable guy. Kind of feel sorry for him, though. If he's listening to this, he's still a Detroit Lions fan. Uh, but instead of Freeform Friday, we did that uh, draft. But this week, we're back to do our uh, roundup, our wrap-up, whatever you want to call it, of the week shows with what we call Freeform Friday. Chris goes on to our Twitter account and uh, finds what people are talking about. Uh, Chris introduce a topic, we talk about it, banter about, and go on to the next topic. So having said all that, I hand over the controls of Unscripted to the boss. I give it to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke. Well, I am trying to find out more and more, as much as I can, about college football, even though every time I do, I find, you know, festering horse shit everywhere. But it's okay. All right. So... Uh, Chris is getting used to the NCAA, which means National Communists Against Athletes. I can't believe this shit. Anyway, okay, but I do like upsets, and so we've got a few of them, I think it looks like today. So I don't know these schools that well, but the Citadel has uh, beaten Georgia Tech 27-24 in overtime. The Citadel is a military school uh, in South Carolina. It's Division II, and uh, when they play a game against a Power 5 conference, which Georgia Tech is in, they're in the ACC, um, this is a big payday for the Citadel. The Citadel, Chris just told me, made $400,000 for this game, so that will go. And the reason that these smaller schools play the big schools is that they get these big paydays, whether they win, lose, just the only thing that they have to do is show up. And ultimately, they then can... Uh, provide the monies for a lot of different athletic programs at their schools. This helps subsidize some of those other programs, those lesser, lesser programs. So that's why these Division II schools play the Power Five Conference, because it's a payday. Most of the time, like last week at Wisconsin, Wisconsin paid, um, I don't know, the number I heard I think was a little bloated, but I think at least Wisconsin gave Central Michigan the Chippewas, at least a half a million last week to play at Camp Randall and become basically a punching bag for the Badgers as Wisconsin won 61 to nothing. But the money that they get from that game can help uh, finance a lot of different aspects, whether it's in the athletics department or the science department or the whatever department at Central Michigan University. And that's why uh, a lot of these teams go in and get slaughtered because they're doing it for the payday. In this case, A, Georgia Tech sucks, and B, I'm happy for the Citadel. Um, they won probably in Atlanta, and they did it on a last-second field goal. Congratulations to the Citadel. Yeah, the Citadel was on the road. And uh, now Brett McMurphy at Brett underscore McMurphy. Air Force beats Colorado 30-23 to in overtime. The Mountain West has a national best seven wins against Power 5 non-conference opponents this season. 
Yeah, uh, the Mountain West is a conference that um, I guess the big ticket item in the Mountain West would probably be in football. Wow, would it be Fresno State? I don't know. Fresno State is in this conference. UNLV is in this conference. UNLV sucks in football. UNLV is going to get their ass handed to them today by Northwestern. But again, UNLV, um, this is a, a great way for them. Now, they are Division One, so this is not a payday for the UNLV running Rebels, but it's a, it's a chance for the UNLV program to get some exposure against a Power 5 conference. That's what the running Rebels are looking for. Um, I'm disappointed, and I feel bad for the Colorado coach, Mel Tucker. He was the defensive coordinator the last couple of years in Jacksonville with the Jaguars. He now gets the head job at Colorado. They had a great win, come-from-behind win last week against Nebraska, and then they can't carry the momentum over, and they lose in overtime to the Air Force Academy. But whereas Citadel went into Georgia Tech and beat them, Air Force has had some success. They run a very simple wing T offense, and uh, you know they've got body types. Remember this, folks: the Air Force Academy and all the all the service academies cannot. And if you didn't know this, not a lot of people do. But the service academies cannot recruit a guy that is over six feet five inches tall. And the reason is, is obviously in the Air Force Academy they fly jets. And a six foot five guy or above can't get in to the cockpit of a jet. Also, the problem when you're being recruited by a service academy, and what I mean by that is the Army, Navy, and the Air Force. So the Army, Navy, and the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, you have to give after your college education, you have to then give a five-year naval or excuse me, military commitment. So you're giving nine years of your life. And that obviously is a detriment to big time athletes because as soon as they get tired of, you know, <laughs> being bossed around by their college coach, they want to go to the NFL and get paid. So great win for the Air Force Academy, but I do feel bad for Colorado. Uh, they've been a down program for years. I'm a big fan of Mel Tucker. He did a great job last week in bringing his team back against a, a, a getting better Nebraska team. And then all that enthusiasm and all that good, all that goodwill feeling gets shoved down the toilet this week as they lose in overtime to the Air Force Academy in Boulder, Colorado. Okay, and uh, unseated Temple has beaten number 21, Maryland, 20-17. to 17. Okay, now I got, I, you know what, I got I to gotta tell you this, okay. This morning before I come to Chris's house, I'm listening to the BTN Network, and they're talking endlessly about how good Maryland is. How good Maryland is. They've got... Mike Loxley is their new coach at Maryland. He was the offensive coordinator last year at Alabama under Saban. So anybody that comes from Alabama is ultimately, you know, knighted as the one. Um, Loxley started 2-0. Last week, um, uh, uh, the Terrapins of Maryland put up 62 in beating 21st-ranked Syracuse in their home barn. But again, nobody gives credit going into Philadelphia, playing against Temple. Temple is not the most talented team in the league, but they always play hard. The Temple Owls, again, are not the most talented team, but they always play hard. They are the biggest bunch of grinders I've ever seen, and here today they grind out a win against a ranked team. Congratulations to the Temple Owls, and shame on you, Maryland Terrapins. 
Well, uh, one, one team that's not struggling as a favorite is uh, Notre Dame is currently beating New Mexico 66-7. to and Well, but see, here's left. the problem here, and you and I could beat New Mexico. New Mexico is probably without their coach, Bob Davey, who had a had some kind of medical setback on the sideline last week and whoever, wherever and whoever they were playing. But again, Nebraska against New Mexico, it obviously that outcome is, is fair. Notre Dame should never have a problem with the Lobos of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's another team, by the way, New Mexico resides in the Mountain West Conference, the Albuquerque, New Mexico school. So interesting here. You know, sorry, sorry, don't mean to interrupt Uh, my, no disrespect, but, I'm going to give you a trivia question right off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Who do you think is the most famous football alumni from New Mexico? And I'll give you, and I'll shorten the odds a little bit. Okay. He played middle linebacker. He's a Hall of Famer from the Chicago Bears. Uh, Dick Buckett? Uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, Butkus. Brian Erlocker. There you go. Brian Very Urlacher. good. I think I knew that. Erlocker, um, Hall of Famer. Dick Butkus actually. Um, Played at the University of Illinois. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. You know who's... This is interesting. I wonder if this is something you watch. So, uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide are having a bit of trouble putting away South Carolina on the road here. Uh, it's 24-13. South Carolina almost got a touchdown. Had to settle for a field goal. Almost got it within seven. 11-21 left in the third. Alabama only up 24-13 against South Carolina. Well, let me tell you something. The last time Alabama played in Columbia, South Carolina, Alabama lost. Hmm. Uh, Will Muschamp Musk, Musk is the coach at uh, South Carolina, formerly the coach at one time at Florida, formerly the one time I think he was the coach at Texas, if I'm not mistaken. I could be, I could be mistaken there. But he has been a, the head of a couple of big-time programs. He's trying to resuscitate the uh, South Carolina program, also in the Southeastern Conference after Lou Holtz quit uh, a couple of years ago. Muschamp has some big wins. He's also had some big losses. But even Saban, godlike Nick Saban, knew that his team was going to have a battle this week in, in Columbia, South Carolina, and damned if he wasn't right. Um, I think Alabama will hold on and win this game, but uh, I think South Carolina is a better football team than we thought. Okay, and uh, BYU and USC are tied at 17. BYU has the ball, 436 uh, left in the third. Listen, folks, that game is in Provo, Utah, and if you ever t- heard me talk about Salt Lake City, it's weird. And Provo is a suburb of Salt Lake City, so it's weird. It's a weird place. It's a weird place to play. You're playing at elevation again like you are in Denver. Um, BYU is not a bad football team, folks. Um, because they play an independent schedule, they are not assigned or they're not affiliated with any conference. So they got to go out and play all the big boys. They got to go out and find competition. Unfortunately, last year they went into Madison, Wisconsin and beat the Badgers in Madison. Um, USC uh, lost their starting quarterback, JT Daniels, uh, the first game of the year to a torn ACL. He's done for the year. I don't know the young man that replaced him, but he's a true freshman. He beat he led USC to a big win last week against Stanford, but it was at home in the LA Coliseum. This is in Provo, Utah. It's weird there. I wouldn't be surprised to see BYU win this game. Wow. Okay. And uh, let's see what else is going on here. There's a couple other ones. Uh, so we're if 13:45 left in the third quarter, and unranked Arizona State is beating number 18 Michigan State three nothing. 
Okay, well, that doesn't surprise me as much, and I'll tell you for two reasons. A, first of all, last year these two teams played in the desert. They played at night. It was about 100 and some degrees, and Arizona State pulled out the victory. They upset Michigan State last year down in Tempe, Arizona. The reason I'm not surprised by this is for one reason, and that is Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards is the head football coach at Arizona State. Oh, yeah. And uh, Herm Edwards is a hell of a football coach. You play to win the game. And you play to win the game, and... Herm Edwards is doing a lot of good things in Tempe, Arizona. He's bringing the right kids to Tempe, Arizona. And within a couple of years, I think, if he if he holds out that long. Remember, Herm Edwards is now in his 60s here, folks. And I don't know how long he's going to want to keep dealing with 22-year-old know-it-alls. But if he does stay in Tempe for a while, Arizona State is going to be competitive again. And they're going obviously, they're proving that they can stay competitive as they play a home-and-home home with the Michigan State Spartans. Okay, I think that's most the notable college scores, but that's actually quite interesting for me because I don't know that stuff very well. But I do see a, a tweet from earlier, uh, Will Brinson at Will Brinson. The alphabet has more W's than Tennessee. Yeah, I, I, you know what, Tennessee, I'm telling you folks, and you may not believe me when I say this, but this is the honest to God truth. When the current athletic director, Philip Fulmer, was the head coach at Tennessee, Tennessee was one of the programs in major college football in the States. Um, this is the time when Peyton Manning was quarterbacking them. Peyton Manning ends up number one, obviously, the number one overall pick in the 98 NFL draft. The next year, 99, uh, 20 years ago this year, Tennessee won a national championship with T. Martin as their quarterback. When Philip Fulmer, for some reason, was fired at Tennessee as the head football coach, they have never been the same. They have sucked forever and ever they've lost a couple games already this year at home uh jeremy pruitt has lost he's the new head coach he came as the old defensive coordinator from alabama and everybody thinks that if you hire somebody off of Saban's staff automatically your day is saved well here's the problem tennessee had a hell of a good coach a couple years ago in the fold by the name of greg shiano who actually wanted to be there and wanted to resurrect the Tennessee football program. And those idiots and those uh, hillbillies down there in Rocky Top, as they like to call themselves, didn't like the idea of bringing Greg Schiano onto staff. And that's where they really screwed up this time. And Tennessee, you guys can go 0-12 for all I care because you guys are poorly run. And I feel sorry. Philip Fomer has come back and trying to resurrect the program from being the uh, athletic director. But the problem is, They've been so bad and so, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been so... Uh, rudderless. Rudderless. They've been so rudderless, but they've been so... They're just not in the news anymore. They're just non... Nondescript. There you go. They're just nondescript. They're yeah. irrelevant. They're just, they're just all of those adjectives. Bottom line, they suck. Okay, let's talk about what an idiot Rob Gronkowski is. How about that? Okay. Okay, so there are two things that really stood out this week from Gronk. So he was on the Pardon My Take podcast, and here's this quote about how good he is at math. Okay. Oh, Jesus, this should be. So this, is, this is an actual quote, apparently. I haven't listened to it, but okay. I'm told this is a real quote from Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. My favorite subject was math. One time in high school, I got 95 out of 100. So they moved me up to advanced math, and I thought I was all sweet. Then I go to advanced math, and there were no more numbers. It was nuts. After two weeks, I went back to normal math and just dominated. Okay, so if that isn't the biggest dumb jock quote of all time, 
Let's let's go to let's go to this. No, there's more. So then, so there's a gentleman named Chris Nowinski who was actually a former WWE Chris, wrestler. I've heard that name. Yes, somewhere. you have because yeah. of uh, CTE. So he was he legitimately went to Harvard, and then he was a wrestler in WWE. And his character was based on real life. He would say, "I'm a real Harvard graduate, and like I'm smarter than you, and everything." Right? And he'd come up with his letter jacket on and everything just to right. piss people off. But then he legitimately got two bad concussions early on and had to retire after not that long in WWE. So then he literally went and uh, became pretty much the foremost expert on CTE. And if you ever see articles about CTE and brain damage, like he works at the, uh, it's with, uh, what is it, the uh, Massachusetts the MIT? The, uh, no, but I think he works at Boston University. But it's it's the Legacy Institute, which oh, it, okay. it's a, it's a it's called the Legacy Institute. They go around. He try he talks to people and he tries to. Uh, you know, convince athletes to sign a, a waiver or whatever and agree to donate their brain to science after they die and everything. So, um, so he, uh, Chris Nowinski, PhD, tweeted uh, at Chris Nowinski1, tweeted, because Rob said something stupid, I think, and so Chris tweeted at him, I appreciate and respect that you have the guts to talk honestly about concussions and CTE, but right now, CTE cannot be fixed. I invite your help in changing that. So this is a doctor. This is arguably the foremost uh, authority when it comes to talking about CTE. And he works and, and does And, and with an athletic background, with, too. Yes, and with personal experience with the concussions. So here comes dumb jock, Rob Gronkowski. Here is his response to a, a very, very smart expert in the field. This is stupid jock thinking he knows everything. It is fixable. I fixed mine. There are plenty of methods in this world that allow the brain to recover from severe damage. That is also why I would allow my kid to play football. So Rob Gronkowski thinks, number one, he had CTE and he somehow magically fixed it because he's magical Rob Gronkowski, speaking of ego and athletes that we've been talking about all week here. And uh, number two, he thinks he knows more than Chris Nowinski about CTE. And even though Chris Nowinski is doing all this research, uh, he doesn't know anything. Rob says you can fix it. I also heard, and, and maybe you heard this as well, that Gronkowski came out this week and said he'd had over 20 concussions over the course of his career. So obviously he uses the same helmet that Antonio Brown does, and it's not working. Here's the thing. Rob Gronkowski, I don't think, has ever been... Uh, has never has never been... What's the word I'm looking for in regard to? He has never probably been associated with an MIT graduate, a Harvard graduate. You know, he's not of the upper echelon. Uh, I just think Rob is bored. Already, I think Rob is bored. And that's why I believe in my heart of hearts, he is going to come back to football at some point this season. Because what else at this point, my friend, can Rob Gronkowski do? Obviously, by not, you know, going back to regular math, and not knowing yet when you go up to algebra and then into tr and into trigonometry and advanced math concepts, there are no numbers. It's all letters and it's formulas, and he's not going to be able to figure that out. I just think Rob is bored, and I think that sooner or later we are going to see him reappear as the tight end again for the New England Patriots because I'm afraid the 20 concussions have affected him and i don't know <clears throat> excuse me i don't really have any true confidence in what rob kronkowski can do outside of play football but he thinks that uh, you know he's just now he's this is what happens with these athletes who've always been told you're the best at everything you're amazing you're magical you're the chosen one then he goes to new england and he just wins 
you know, Super Bowl after Super Bowl. So now it's just it's just out of control ego, and he's just a big stupid jock. Is all he well, is, and now he's not. Now every every day he spends away from football, trying to talk on other subjects like brain damage that he knows nothing about. He's just going to look dumber and dumber and get more and more negative feedback, and he'll go back to football where everyone reveres him again because of that. Well, because if he's just out in public, he's just going to keep looking dumber and dumber. I do want to make one mention of something that I sadly learned about this week was that, um, and I think this is something that the National Hockey League needs to get involved when we finally seemingly have gotten the NFL involved and maybe it took that movie concussion starring Will Smith. I don't know if that was the turning point. I don't know what it is. I think it had something to do with former Steelers center, Mike's uh, Mike Webster who died recently. And, and they found that he was just a mess with all the different concussions and the CTE, but uh, Stan Makita um, mm-hmm. was diagnosed this week that he had uh, advanced CTE in his brain and um, I always liked Stan Makita uh, was the obviously was one of the main reasons that the Chicago Blackhawks won the 1961 Stanley Cup championship but I think that now that uh, somebody is revered as Stan Makita and they have found that he had CTV in his system and his body and his brain I think now the National Hockey League that's the next thing that I think that somebody in Gary Bettman's uh, office needs to start looking into because if you don't believe it exists in hockey folks you are really really climbing up a slip rope because let me tell you you got guys you know like Connor McDavid who who's flies down the ice at 25 miles an hour whatever it is and you tell me even with that little condom on their head that they get racked into the into the boards or they get racked into the boards by a by a bufflin in 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 Winnipeg. You tell me that that isn't doing damage to their brains. Um, somebody in the National Hockey League's got to wake up. Well, Stan Makita played without a helmet too, which well, I, I doesn't, get that. doesn't I, help. I, no question. I, I mean, but still, I mean, when we get somebody that is as famous and as legendary as Stan Makita, I think the National Hockey League has to take a little bit more of a proactive step in regard to trying to find something that can help these guys. Because ultimately there are going to be more guys that they find and guys that didn't play with helmets on that are dying now that are in their late 70s and 80s. And when the autopsies are done, I think they're going to find a lot of guys that ultimately have, that were hockey players that had uh, CTE in their systems. Sure. Uh, uh, we've already talked about the New York Jets a lot, but uh, I just had a couple of tweets about them I thought you'd like. The Onion at the Onion, Sam Darnold's mono diagnosis forces Jets to crack down on kissing and huddle. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it does the e- I mean, sometimes the easy ones are still good. And then uh, Julie Stewart-Binks at JSB underscore TV. The good thing about mono is once you get it, you can't get it again, just like the Jets winning the Super Bowl. Well, I, you know, I'm glad we can all make fun of this. And, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that you can't contract mono a second time. So that's good. I do know that it, it, it can be a debilitating disease, those folks. I can tell you that. I've known two people that have had it. And one guy I know was wiped out for months. It just saps your energy. Um, it's a big thing to get out of bed in the morning when you have this. And uh, you have to be patient with it. It's not a quick fix. Uh, I believe Darnold will be out for longer than four to six weeks because he could still have this disease inside him at six weeks and he's starting to feel better. But just like that, you could have a, a, you know, a relapse and you're right back on your bed and right back on your back. 
And and ultimately, if he misses four to six weeks, he's going to need two, three weeks to get back up into football shape. I don't know if you're going to see Sam Darnold as his best Sam Darnold this whole year. I really don't. I just think, and if it and if he does make a full recovery, it's going to be week 11, 10 or 11 before we're going to see uh, the real Sam Darnold again. This is a real serious thing, and I hope the Jets take this seriously because this is their franchise quarterback, and uh, I hope that they uh, give it the proper respect that it needs because if you don't and you know you rush this guy back or Sam Darnold, somebody in, in New York is going to have to make sure that Sam Darnold stays down and stays true to his doctors and stays true to himself. If he tries to rush it back, that could be the worst thing that could happen for Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. Yeah, and you have to be careful when you have mono, you have an enlarged spleen as well. That's right. So, so if you're That's tackle, a tackle, then yeah, yeah, you've got to really be careful. You're great point. Yeah. Okay, uh, Deadspin at Deadspin report. Triple Crown winner Justify failed drug test ahead of Kentucky Derby. Well, who who would put it? Who who would ever think that people who run horse racing would sweep oh, something under the rug? No question. Now, here's my question. Do they take the title away? Well, since they were probably in on it, then no, I guess not. Well, I mean, he, okay. But under the rules, they should have. He should have been disqualified. Okay. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't think. I think they're like, oh, triple crown winner. You know, like that's that. What what gets people to watch horse racing unless you're already involved in it directly? Oh, uh, to see somebody win a potential triple crown. Yeah, that, it's just the triple crown. That's I mean, after the Kentucky Derby, you watch the the uh, the next one, which is the Preakness. And if that guy wins, then you want to watch the Belmont Stakes. But if you have a different winner at the Preakness. Who cares about the Belmont Stakes because the Triple Crown opportunity is gone? So I think you're exactly right there. Um, they saw a potential Triple Crown the first time since what was it Aladar or something? You know, oh, I forget. What I know was, yeah. affirmed or Aladar or something like that. All I remember is 1973 watching Secretariat kick everybody's ass. But that was a long, long, long time ago. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, geez. There are just nothing but reputable guys in horse racing. You got D. Wayne Lucas, you got Bob Bafford. Oh yeah, they're just real reputable guys. No question. Yeah, it's like boxing pretty much anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh no truth to the rumor that they're gonna try to rename justify Lance Armstrong. Um, <laughs> sorry. sorry, I had to do that. All right. I'm glad okay. you did. Yep. Okay, <laughs> Boxing Kingdom at Boxing Kingdom fourteen. Which retired boxer do you miss watching the most? Um, I miss watching Tyson. Um, I miss watching Mike Tyson. I'm sorry. He's not the sharpest knife in a drawer. Supposedly he's got a $40,000 a month pot habit now. Um, he's living probably in, in that one, there's one, there's one County in the state of California that legalizes and they, they allow you to grow and, and, uh, produce and then sell marijuana. That's probably where Tyson's living. But I I miss Mike Tyson. I really do. I mean, um, again, I'm again here. I am Mr. Bias because of my relationship with Mike Tyson, and it was a short relationship, but I'll never forget it. In regard to a a uh, uh, a gym in Las Vegas that was near our studios at that time, and um, I won't bore you with the details. But I have I Mike Tyson was not a bully. Mike Tyson's an idiot, is what it is, and he got bad representation. But I'm telling you, folks. Before he lost to Buster Douglas in 1990, that infam infamous night in Tokyo, he didn't beat people. He beat the shit out of people. I remember 
And now I'm in the radio business at this time, so I got to go to these fights. And I got to see him destroy Michael Spinks in 91 seconds. And Michael Spinks isn't like fighting me. Michael Spinks was an Olympic champion. He had won a heavyweight tr- a crown. He had been the w, w whatever it is. Uh, there was the WBA and the WBC at that time. He, he was the guy in one of them. I don't remember. doesn't matter. But he took care of his ass in 91 seconds. I mean, when Mike Tyson hit you, he would literally lift people off the ground because it came with such ferocity. And I still say, when Gus D'Amato was alive and Kevin Rooney was his trainer, if they could have kept that partnership together and not allowed that fucking criminal from Cleveland, Don King, in there, Mike Tyson would have gone down as the greatest heavyweight of all time. And I mean no disrespect to the great Muhammad Ali, but if we could have kept that team together of Gus D'Amato and Kevin Rooney, and there was one other guy, but I don't remember his name, I'm sorry, But if we could have kept that team together, there would not have been a meltdown in Tokyo that night to Buster Douglas. Because Buster Douglas, for all respect due to him, he had the fight of his his life. But if Mike Tyson's in the right frame of mind, there's no way in God's green earth that Buster Douglas is going to beat Mike Tyson. There's no fucking way. I don't care what anybody says. And while, and I remember this, and I'm not going back on it, When I say something, I stay true to it. Um, I believe that in their prime, Muhammad Ali beats Mike Tyson in his prime. But that's just because Mike Tyson's prime was so short because of the death of Gus D'Amato and then the, and I call it the intrusion of Don King getting into Mike Tyson's business. That ruined Mike Tyson and he's still paying for it today because of Don King. I really believe that, and uh, I miss, I miss pre-Don King. I miss the Kevin Rudy, Gus D'Amato, Mike Tyson, because it was short, it was sweet, it was painful, and it was fun to watch. Interesting. I, did, I, I guess I should have guessed you that you would guess Tyson, or that you would say Tyson. I mean, I, he was a little before my time. I was pretty young when he was really right. dominating people, so... That was tough. I, I was kind of thinking you'd say someone from the 70s, like Ali or Frazier or Foreman or someone like that. And and you know what? You're right. Um, I have the greatest respect for Muhammad Ali for what he did, for believing in his beliefs and taking on the U.S. government. But remember, when he was doing that, at the height of Ali's career was in the mid-60s, and I was born in 64. So, you know, I'm about this big. In the 70s, we didn't get to see the real Muhammad Ali because he had taken the four years off and he didn't take them off. He was kicked out for four years. But when he comes back and fights Foreman in 73 in Zaire, I think it was Foreman or maybe it was Frazier. Maybe it was Frazier in Zaire and it was uh, George Foreman in Manila. I think that's what it was in 73 and 74. Yes, Muhammad Ali won both of those fights, but he still was not at his best. If you ask a lot of Muhammad Ali fans, when he beat Sonny Liston in 65 as Cassius Clay, that was the best that he ever was. The reason I'm more close to Tyson, twofold. A, I was much older at that time. B, I'm in the sports radio business. And C, I had got to meet Mike Tyson. So, 
obviously when you meet Mike Tyson and you and you form your own opinions about him, you realize he isn't the monkey that people make him out to be. He just had some bad representation. And here's the thing. People took advantage of a guy that really just, again, wasn't that smart, came from a really tough environment from the Catskills Mountains in New York, and people just took advantage of a guy that really, you know what, this may sound silly, but all Mike Tyson really wanted was to be loved. And I don't mean to get corny and all sappy, but he wanted to be loved by Americans for being a great fighter. And unfortunately, he became a sideshow once Don King got into his world. Okay, and Boy, uh, that was that was a, that was yeah, good. that was quite profound oh, for you. Trippy. Yeah, really. <laughs> wow, I better I better tape that. Wow, go go and write some poetry. Oh, no, really? You see Mike at Starbucks with his laptop and his <laughs> caramel macchiato. Well, I don't go to Starbucks because I don't do coffee. Mm, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I just follows up on. A, well, here was here's Onion Sports uh, Network at Onion Sports. Here was their reaction to the Justify story. Tearful Justify holds press conference blaming failed drug test on contaminated salt lick. And <laughs> <laughs> I love the onion. Oh, man. I love a, the isn't onion. Isn't that just exactly? If horses could talk, that's if exactly... If horses could talk. We what, just... You know what? Yeah. We need Mr. Ed here. Yeah, exactly. So that, I am for Mr. Sure, Ed. For sure, these old men in suits would be like, yeah, just blame it on a salt lick. Yeah. yeah, yeah Wilbur. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's just do a few... You know uh, how... I got to say this. You know how weird that was... For a three or four year old kid to see, in black and white now, to, for a three or four year old kid to see a horse talking on television. I never did see a Mr. Ed clip. Well, no, because that was way before yeah, your yeah, time. Yeah. But I, I remember, oh, yeah, uh, Alan Young was Wilbur. And then and you had the, the cute blonde as the mother, and you had Mr. Ed. And it was still funny. It was, it's still, I mean, I don't know if there's reruns of Mr. Ed, but I remember in the late 60s, uh, I'm about four or five years old. I remember a talking horse on television. Interesting. Okay. Uh, more onion sports here. Florida resort allows guests to swim with Miami dolphins. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Shows them like swimming around with their helmets on. It's pretty funny. I do. I do need to say this real quick. Stephen Ross, as the owner of the Miami Dolphins, we were talking about this as we were reviewing week one, and then we got into a little bit more as we were going through our week two picks in regard to the Miami Dolphins. I think Stephen Ross, as the owner of this team, needs to step in. Not only because we were talking about this, does the NFL need to step in? Absolutely, the NFL needs to step in because this is going to be this is going to be a sliding, slippery shit show here pretty soon in Miami if it isn't already. But Stephen Ross, as the owner, needs to do something pretty damn quick. And he needs to get Brian Flores and whoever the goddamn general manager is now needs to get them in a room and figure something out because this is an embarrassment to the NFL. Okay, more Onion Sports headline. We're going to do a few of these. Packers fan announces he will return to drinking for another season. <laughs> um, you know, the last two seasons in Green Bay, after the eight years of consecutive playoff appearances, the last two years have been painful in Green Bay. There's no question about it. It's been painful in Calgary. It's been painful everywhere. Um, I just think that the Packers fans probably would have drank more the last couple of years uh, with the bad play. But, uh, you know, again, I don't mean to overemphasize it. It was just one game, and it was a very limited Bears offense. But God damn it. 
we now have two guys on each end in Ladarius and, or excuse me, Zadarius and Preston Smith that can hold the point of attack. They can hold the edge, and damn it, they can't get a rush too. And I gotta say this: our our uh, our defensive tackle, Kenny, uh, excuse me, Kenny Clark. Watch him, folks. If you watch Packer football, watch number 97. This is the reason that the Green Bay Packers could release Mike Daniels and let him go off to Detroit and, 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 and uh, enjoy living in, in uh, no playoffs Detroit. But Kenny Clark is the reason that the, the uh, Packers were able to allow uh, Mike Daniels to go because Kenny Clark, at 22 years old, has already been in the league four years 23 and already been in the league four years and he's dominant at his position and if you watch the game like i do you can see that some of the success that the two smiths had were all because kenny clark was taking on double teams from the nose guard position and that's the key to packer future success okay kobe bryant claims he would have won 12 rings if shaq's deadbeat father was around to instill stronger work ethic that's bullshit um you know what he didn't actually say this in fairness no i, I know this is a fake no I, I i know but i've i've heard this a lot yeah. and and uh shaq got a laugh out of it um you know what here's the thing i love kobe bryant he's a member of one of my favorite basketball teams i love the lakers obviously um i interviewed kobe bryant years ago um uh, you know what he did 20 years as a laker um i think he won five championships in total he won two and then shaq came along in the early 2000s they won three more or something like that or excuse me they won three and then later on with paul gasol they won a couple more so i think kobe won five in la five of the 16 were won when they were captained captained by kobe bryant but kobe is unbelievably difficult to play with he was a poor teammate he was a taskmaster out there. He was a bit of a bitch is what he was. And I, you know, again, I'm saying this as a guy that I love. But remember this, on all the great, you know, you see all these guys all the time with these, with these, uh, you know, the greatest Laker five. And the, if you had the, and even here, Chris and I have done this before. If you have a Mount Rushmore of Lakers. But here's the thing. Kobe never makes those. And that's telling right there. It's always magic and it'll be LeBron in the end and it'll be Wilt Chamberlain, it'll be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and it'll be, I don't know, James Worthy or a plethora, James, maybe Jerry West. There'll be a plethora, but it's never Kobe Bryant. And I think that's very telling. Okay, two more tweets. Uh, and this one you don't even necessarily have to respond to because we've kind of talked about it, but we went into detail about how Cleveland Browns fans just, and I appreciate they've been so underserved the last few years, but then their expectations were through the roof here. So, of course, Onion Sports has to come out. Cautious Browns fan not expecting team to do better than 13-3. and three. <laughs> um, If the Cleveland Browns somehow get to 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six after the years that they've had, you should be given the trophy of AFC Executive of the Year to John Dorsey the next day if that happens. 13-3 and three is not realistic. We all know that, especially after that start last week. 18 penalties, that's undisciplined play, and that's something that uh, Freddie Kitchens is going to have to address ASAP. Cleveland fans, um, I blame the media a little bit for this. They have pumped up the, new, the Cleveland Browns so much that it's almost 
it, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, it can't, it, it, those are unexpected or unfamiliar. Well, obviously they're unfamiliar, but they're, what is it when you can't reach unattainable, unattainable expectation? This is a team that we all know the numbers. Two years ago, they had went through a two-year period of one in 31. And to expect them from three years ago, from a one in, or two, whatever, you know, a couple of years ago when they were one in 31 over a two-year period to go to 13 and three, that's unrealistic. John Dorsey and all of his Packer buddies have done an unbelievable job improving the talent base in Cleveland, no question. But they're still got to do it on the field. And they haven't been able to do that yet. But let's not throw them over this over into the over into Lake Ontario or Lake Erie or whatever lake is one of the great lakes that adjacent to Cleveland. It's only one week. But this is a big week this week coming up for the Cleveland Browns. If they perform like they did, especially with the undisciplined play of 18 penalties, they will lose to a backup quarterback in New York, and that would be really a bad thing for the Cleveland Browns. Especially on Monday Night Football, which with everybody watching, that's going to be very interesting, and that's why I took the Jets both ways. You're smart. Last, uh, well, we'll see. Last last story here, and actually I can see what this Onion story is inspired by, and I realize we didn't talk about that. We have not talked about the U.S. Open, and that was a big event and a big story here. And I know Mike's American, but he's a, he's an honorary or uh, what are you? What are what are you officially here? You're a, I'm a dual citizen. Are you are you full citizen? I thought you. I well, I'm applying for it. I should be one oh, okay, here. Okay. I should be one here in the next six I, months. I'm surprised or so. you weren't one a long time ago. Really? Well, it's a long process. Um, you know, a lot of times I thought that I would probably end up back down there, and and uh, I, I but. We've decided to make this, I, I would say within six months to a year, I'll be a, but right now what they call me is I am a landed immigrant. Landed immigrant. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, cause so of course, uh, Bianca Andreescu won the U S open beating Serena. I right. watched the entire final. I was surprised. Like I, when I was doing my work fantasy draft, we were at Buffalo wild wings and that was when she was winning one of the uh, earlier matches. And uh, I was surprised a lot of people were there watching and cheering and it was, it was a great story. So, of course, just before we get to that, clearly this Onion headline was inspired by the U.S. Open. You know, they have the kids run on and grab right. the ball and they have to The ball sprint. boys and... Right. Yeah, yeah, and all that. And it's really fast. So, uh, of course, the Onion has NASCAR to discontinue having kids rush onto track to wipe up skid marks during races. <laughs> and so clearly that's where they got that idea from. So anyway, but it did. But it made me... Uh, it reminded me. I'm like, wait a minute. We haven't talked about Bianca. Um, obvious shoe-in for a Canadian female athlete of the year. It's not even a quest. No one else is even, should even bother doing anything athletically if you're a woman in Canada because you're not going to win. Clearly, this is Bianca's year as a 19-year-old. Uh, great job. Uh, I watched the entire thing. You know, amazing how she was up. You know, she ended up breaking Serena, what, four times in the second set. She was up 5-1, to one, and then all of a sudden the momentum turned and she lost four in a row and it was 5-5, five, five, and the crowd was deafening totally partisan in favor of Serena and then uh, but then she did win two in a row win the second set 7-5 bring home a major to Canada unbelievable for a 19 year old Serena in fairness wasn't looking her best made a lot of unforced errors but that doesn't take anything away from Bianca at 19 Uh, you know beating one of her heroes who she's watched her entire life literally as soon as she was born Serena was already good and uh, just just an amazing story for tennis in Canada. Well, first of all, I'm very happy that this young lady won. Um, 
You're right. Serena is not the same Serena, especially when you've had a baby within the last, it takes a while. Uh, I get that. I would like to see Serena get the 24th at some point in time. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see her get the 24th Grand Slam title. But remember, a lot of people that were at the U.S. Open this year and cheering so voraciously for Serena were be, was because of the battle she had with the the uh, the chair umpire mm-hmm. in last year's mm-hmm. final, mm-hmm. which was just a joke. That was a total joke, and it was total disrespectful to a lady that had won twenty three Grand Slam titles. And but I am very happy for the Canadian young woman. She deserved it. Um, I think she's catapulted into the top 10 now in women's tennis and deservedly so. And what I'm really excited about is that she won it before Jeannie Bouchard did. I didn't like her. I think she comes off as a bit of a bitch. And so I was very happy that if it was to be won by a Canadian that was won by this young lady who seems to be very a classy young lady, knows what to say, when to say it, how to say it, um, very impressed by her. I have no ill will toward her. I didn't really care who won. I wanted it to be a good match. Again, as I just stated, I would like somewhere down the line to see Serena get the 24th, and then I'd like to see her retire. I don't think she needs to prove anything anymore. She's done everything that she can. Um, But again, uh, very happy for the young Canadian. And I think this is just the beginning of many, many, many things that she's going to really do well in the wonderful and wacky world of women's tennis. Um, very proud of her, and congratulations. We've got a run on this 391st uh, episode of Unscripted. Great week of shows. Hope that you enjoyed them. Uh, I know I did. Thank you very much for participating, and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.